Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, we have a really good interview coming up that we're going to play here in just a bit with Brad Pickle, the executive director of the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway Association. You remember we went to their conference in Savannah, Georgia, not too long ago. I guess it was October last year. Super great event. Awesome event. And uh, they're a great organization. The Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway is a tremendously important feature on the American shoreline. And we have been privileged to uh, work with the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway Association. And in particular, this show is about the appropriation season and the work that Brad and his team have done to uh, secure funding to get this waterway uh, maintained and dredged. St- they still have a ways to go, but we're going to talk all about that. But l- I think we, we wanted to address uh, global events here. Well, and it, and it is an important show with Brad. I totally agree. And we had promised him that we would check in with him, see how they did. And so I think it's a great interview. Looking forward to everybody listening to that. But, you know, Tyler, I mean, it's hard to ignore. It's impossible to ignore. Completely. Um, what's happening today. Uh, this show with Brad was recorded just a bit ago before uh, the world started to change with the coronavirus. And uh, and it really, I think what you and I have been uh, talking about is, you know, ASPN has become the voice of the coastal community. We know that. We can look at who our listeners are around the country. We know coastal professionals all around the United States and, in fact, around the world. Look to Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network to stay connected on the professional developments that are going on. Um, And we're all about to be sitting in our houses, and it looks more and more uh, that we're going to be uh, not able to go to work and and all of the great all the conferences you already mentioned international ocean film festival um the the NOAA conference on on the use of drone technology on the coast has been canceled the ASBPA coastal summit this is the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association conference uh coming up in March was supposed to be coming up in March is canceled and these are the well, only they're gonna they're doing it on uh it's they're gonna go virtual yeah, going virtual so there is a, I feel a certain responsibility that we both do that, that we can, we can help the communication stay open. Uh, we're all going to be thinking about and caring about the virus and how to stay safe as people. And that should be everyone's number one priority, of course. But as, but the, the conversation in the coastal community is a key thing and as we sort of sit in our houses i mean how can we serve as a a, a medium for that conversation to continue right we created the american shoreline podcast network and coastal news today to be a place for the coastal discussion uh around the american shoreline around the world a place for information and that's not stopping. Uh, all of the coastal issues that we cover are continuing to be coastal issues. Um, they are certainly not as front of mind as maybe they were a couple weeks ago. But we know that the discussion must continue to go on. And we also believe very strongly that as we self-quarantine, as we adjust in our lives that we're going to need 
we're going to crave um, access to the discussion that we've dedicated our lives to. You know, we work on this and we are going to continue to work on this, uh, even though we might not be able to gather and come together as a community. So we want to avail this channel, this podcast network, this podcast and our hosts and all of you, all of you, our listeners to this feed, to this podcast, become a part of it right now. Um, this is a, we want to help this conversation continue. It's something that we've, uh, we never anticipated quite these circumstances, of course, but, um, we, we've, we feel very strongly that this discussion must continue to go on and that, uh, we will continue to think about and monitor the news and events of the American shoreline and the the coasts and oceans around the world. Yep, and we, and, you know, it's about bringing those professional voices and staying engaged as we confront the coronavirus. Um, the sort of the the self quarantining hasn't fully manifested itself, but. Uh, I fully expect if you look at what's happened around the world that uh, Americans are going to be no different. We're going to be asked to stay at home, stay apart for a while to try to handle this uh, virus and to to not facilitate its spread. Every coastal conference is likely that's scheduled in the next six months or next three months is likely to be canceled. The American Shoreline Podcast Network is built for this moment, not, as you said, this isn't what we thought we were going to do, but we can bring together the professional voices of a coastal conference on ports and waterways or tourism or anything, the magic of technology. We can, from your own home, we can put the keynote speaker and the executive director of your organization on a show to talk to the coastal professionals and stakeholders and interested parties around the country and around the world. All you need to do is contact us at Tyler at coastalnewstoday.com at Peter at coastalnewstoday.com. Let's keep the conversation going because as you said, as the coronavirus unfolds and, and who knows how it's all going to play out, we know that the issues and the professional interest and the investment that people have made in really understanding and doing good job on the coast is going to continue. And we wanna be available to help you as a professional. So if you've got a conference or you have something going on in your professional life at the Florida Department of Environmental Protection or at the Louisiana Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority or at the California Coastal Commission or up in Rhode Island or in Maine where wind power is still being developed or in or in the lobster or fishery industry there is a way to reach the audience and the community around the country and it is through Coastal News Today and we're inviting you to take advantage of this network yeah and you know, we we're gonna we're gonna remain authentic to the conversation that we have. Uh, the the uh, in in a way, the shoreline discussion, the discussion of the of climate change and adaptivity, is comports with what we're going through now uh, with the virus. And in another way, of course, it doesn't. But um, 
look, we want to, we feel like it's important that we keep uh, this feed and channel wide open. And so we're going to, we're going to flood the zone with a bunch of content and we're going to make sure that these conversations happen. We're going to, we are opening this up uh, to all of you. So as Peter mentioned, do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can tweet at us at Coastal News 365 on Twitter. You can follow us and get at us in, on Facebook, social media. You can email. Let us know what's going on out there. Uh, be a part of this discussion. Be a part of this community. Um, this is this is this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're, tr- we're trying to be the 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 voice, the conversation of this area, and. Um, it, I think that there will come a time as we adjust to the, the new normal of uh, the coronavirus, this global pandemic that we are currently in the midst of, that we will uh, have bandwidth to, and we will, we will want to, to uh, work. And I know that so many of you out there, this is your life's pursuit you've gone to school, you've gotten degrees, you're an expert in your area. You have responsibilities that have not gone away. Right. Uh, And we are not going to go away either. We are going to keep it up and we want to know what you're up to. We want to know certainly how coronavirus has impacted your job, but I think we are, we're, it doesn't need to be Corona related. And, right. and, um, I think there's value in that as well. I think that we're going to get a lot of Corona information, a lot of, you know, the, the, the news networks are going to be covering what's going yeah, on. We on that. And we don't have to think we don't have to cover that, but yeah. we, it's we, not we, our, it's not our thing. It's not our thing, but we can reach down into this. I mean, you know, the ASPN, the tagline that we worked and developed is insight and intelligence for thriving shorelines. The other one that I really like is the voice of the coastal community. And and this is a chance uh, as you are uh, limited in your ability to gather together in the conferences and the coastal discussions that are so critical to the advancement of the thinking on managing coastal issues around the country and around the world. we want to step into that space. We want to offer this platform. And I think, Tyler, we want to give a shout out to all of the hosts on ASPN, from Derek Brockbank at the uh, executive director of ASBPA, to Howard Marlowe and Jan Janolfi, to Dan Martin in Chicago, um, to, you know, we've got a, a great pantheon of, uh, of smart people who can talk about this. And I want to encourage all of our hosts. Let's see what we can do with this network to keep the coastal conversation going. We can't all sit around and think coronavirus 24 hours a day. We've got to be able to stay intellectually engaged and stimulated in the professions that we all pursue. Um, Let's use ASPN. So it, it really is an email to Tyler at Coastal News Today, an email to me at Peter at Coastal News Today dot com. Um, reach out to the hosts, your favorite host, Jenna Valente in Boston. Um, who else, Tyler? Um, you know, these are the folks that we want to bring together the voices right now. And as you're sitting home in the afternoon and running out of things to do and a little tired of CNN and Fox and MSNBC, you've, you've, you've heard enough of from the epidemiologists. Let's keep the conversation going on coastal issues in America. Right. So we're going to run this show right now. We recorded it at a 
about a week and a half ago with Brad Pickle, all about the uh, Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association and their current uh, appropriations goals and achievements. But before we do, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at thedunesciencegroup.com. Well, Brad, it's great to have you back on the American Shoreline Podcast, and uh, we're big fans of the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway Association and what you guys do to support the critical waterway that runs along the Atlantic seaboard, so critical to commercial and recreational navigation. Um, but the reason we wanted to call was uh, it's about appropriation season this time of year, and that's about federal funding to support and maintain this waterway. And we wanted to call and see how you're doing. Did, does the, uh, how's the financing looking for the support of your waterway, Brad? How'd you guys do so far in the process? You know, well, we're really excited about the opportunities that are in front of us. Uh, we did have a, a pretty good appropriation season wrapping up fiscal 20, which is always funny with the way the, the federal government works and the fiscal year actually started back in October, but the money wasn't allocated until just last month. But we got some good news. Although we started uh, with the president's budget at only about seven and a half million, we actually had over $15 million added into waterway projects. So we're up to over $22 million and, and now working to see how can we get that money spent. Um, with, with the waterway, uh, we're a little bit different in some of the other projects in that we actually have the opportunity to draw from multiple different funding pots for our projects. And, and so Congress had about $160 million to allocate for projects like the Intercoastal Waterway, and we got over $15 million of that. So not quite 10%, but pretty close, and, and we're excited about seeing projects move forward. Well, it's great to see the, the, the nation investing in, the, in this waterway and the other waterways around the country. Um, for the benefit of our listeners out there, let's tell them a little bit about what these funds are for. These are federal Corps of Engineers funds appropriated by Congress with the assistance, of course, as you said, of the president's budget, the starting point of that process. Uh, why is this money important? What will it be used to do? 
Well, you know, this year we've been fortunate that with the funding that's been made available by Congress, we actually have money. Once again, this is the second year in a row, and we can't say that looking back too many years and too many different timeframes, that we actually have projects that are going to be constructed all up and down the waterway. Every one of our states from Virginia through Florida received enough money to where we're going to see dredging occurring and maintenance of upland disposal areas. So in other words, we're going to see dirt moved. And at the end of the day, when we're trying to maintain our waterway and keep it open for all of the users, whether it's commercial users that we rely on to move goods north and south along the waterway, or whether it's us going out on boats on a weekend trip, we want to make sure the water is available and open for everyone. And it's really exciting to know that we're going to have projects going on in every state once again. That is really uh, great news. And I would just second what Peter said. It's great to see this kind of increase in the investment of the waterway. And, uh, you know, I think for our listeners that uh, have been listening to the American Shoreline podcast for, oh, the past several months, you'll know that uh, we have done several shows dedicated to the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway. And just a little background here, Brad, uh, for our new listeners, um, you know, this this waterway is incredibly important for our uh, nation's security, uh, for uh, moving uh, goods. It's, it has tremendous economic <laughs> value. Peter's uh, Peter's <laughs> playing a game of uh, whatever you call it, where you make charades. Ja- charades. Like, I was doing the money symbol. It's, it's good for the economy. This waterway. That's right. This waterway is great for the economy, and. Uh, and it goes back to the the founding of our nation. So this has been a transportation route that it has been that has been important for our country for a very long time, and unfortunately, uh, it kind of fell under disrepair. It got clogged up with sediment. Yeah. And when the draft gets too uh, too shallow, you can't. Uh, it's not deep enough. It's not dredged to be deep enough. The big barges and vessels that are uh, necessary to move the goods up and down it can't go and right. and it and the yeah. the economic value is not fully realized so when brad is talking about this investment he's talking about getting this artery moving again and brad uh tell us a little bit about uh your partners here on the commercial side are they pleased to see this kind of investment over there at the atlantic intracoastal waterway association absolutely yeah across the board we're starting to see uh, a little bit more usage. We're going to start quantifying that in a, in a better framework. What I'm really excited to investigate is new or additional shipping opportunities that are coming along. For example, in the past, when just use an example in North Carolina, when it was clogged up for a while and they were having some challenges between the stretch from Charleston, South Carolina, up into northern North Carolina, the one of the local customers there that was waiting on scrap metal started having to ship it by truck and rail, which increased their cost and decreased the efficiencies. But once we started doing the dredging again and got a more consistent project, they actually went back to shipping on the water. Uh, so that's an example of an increased use or bringing another shipping line back on uh, back into action for them. And we're looking to see if there's other areas that are doing that. Uh, some very preliminary information I'm getting that's going to be similar to that is the jet fuel. National defense is another uh, reason, as you all were mentioning, that we've maintained the waterway and the jet fuel for some of the planes that fly out of where I live here in Beaufort, South Carolina, 
that water, uh, that jet fuel comes by water. And unfortunately, for a while, they had two to three stops that they would have to make from Jacksonville to Beaufort to wait on the tides in the Georgia stretch. And now that we've done some dredging in Georgia last year and we've got additional funding coming in place to dredge a couple more areas in Georgia this year, waiting to see if those tide restrictions are lifted. Because when we can lift those tide restrictions, it increases efficiency, decreases cost, and it also allows for more fuel to be brought in, uh, which is just going to be less deliveries. So it's going to be a net benefit not only to the commercial shipping company, but also to the military base. And on top of that, to us as federal taxpayers, because we're not paying more per unit cost. So there's just a lot of different opportunities that we're seeing more and more coming online as we do this work. And as we uh, as we look to Congress, the one thing I'd say in D.C., when we see the dysfunction that is highlighted on our daily TV broadcasts and in news articles, when it comes to the waterway and water infrastructure, we really see a lot of bipartisanship. And I want to be the positive voice for the way that Congress does work together for projects like ours. And uh, it's just a, a true testament to when we see issues that are of national importance, there is still work to be done, and our leaders in D.C. are working to get it done. I, I really appreciate that you mentioned that, because uh, it, it, we do hear about sort of the blood and guts of politics all of the time, especially in this election season, and people forget that there's a, a functional group of leadership up in D.C. that does do the right thing. They certainly are doing a good job on these waterway management issues, which are so important to the country economically and, as you said, in a security sense. And, Brad, one of the things we learned at that meeting in November in Savannah, Georgia, uh, was also the environmental benefits of the efficiency of transportation. If you can move these goods by, as you said, the scrap metal up and down the waterway to this company that relies on these uh, supply trains. Uh, if you can do that by boat and not by truck, we've significantly reduced CO2 emissions. We've, it's, a, it's a safer transportation way. These waterways matter. And I think you've convinced us of that. And I hope our, our, our listeners understand how important uh, these waterways are. So what, what I want to talk about a little bit is how much money does it take to maintain? This, this channel has obviously been plotted out and, op and is operating, but the water depths for the key deal, how much money does it cost? What are the maintenance needs for the waterway? Yeah, but real quick before we dive into that, just yeah. to put a, a figure on, your, uh, on the environmental piece, is that typically a truck's cargo capacity is about 25 tons. That's what it peak would be. One cargo, one barge hauling cargo, just one barge is 1,700 tons. Wow. So you're looking at 25 versus 1,700. Just to put a number with the with the the information that you were laying out there for for our listeners. It's a big barge. That's 68 68 truckloads. I did the yeah, math. Yeah, it's huge when you start thinking about that. So diving in, though, to where we are and what are we looking at is I we think. do have – yeah, we do have a great partnership with our Corps of Engineers districts and the divisions up and down the waterway, and they provide us every year what their operations and maintenance needs backlog is. Uh, and then also – so that would get us back to where the authorized width and depth of the waterway should be. Okay. And then they also provide an annual maintenance figure on top of that. So, for example, what does it take to get back to the authorized width and depth? And if we were there, what would it take to maintain it? Uh, so there's two numbers that we work off of. Currently, the backlog number – is down to a, just over $74 million. And I don't want to say that that's a low number 
Uh, it's definitely a big number, and it's not in my checking account. But when you're talking about 1,100-mile-long highway, marine highway, that's really not a huge number. And on top of that, we've taken it down. When they gave us the numbers, we started this analysis back in 2016 after the passage of a WERDA bill. That number back then was around $126 million. So we've bought down already over $50 million in risk to the waterway system in just a short four years. So we're excited about that and, and seeing that number drop. So our, our target number is $75 million. But then on top of that, we do have an annual maintenance needs where the Corps estimates it would be just about $49.5 million annually. Uh, once again, another big number but not when you spread it out over an 1,100-mile-long marine highway. So we've got some opportunities here. And then the numbers I was throwing out earlier, that this year we're, we're in, the, in the work plan, in the budget at about $22.5 million. And then on top of that, we received about $5.5 million in disaster supplemental money. It's, it was leftover money from projects or from the storms that impacted the areas in 2017 and 2018. So that's $28 million that we now have in our bank account or in the Corps' different district bank accounts to see some dredging happen. So there's there's going to be a lot of dirt moved this year. Well, I've been thinking lately uh, that we all should be investing in Great Lakes Dredge and Docks and the other dredging companies because there's a lot of money that's being spent along the American shoreline on channel maintenance and shoreline restoration and dredging. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, it sounds like you're making solid progress going from a backlog of around 75 million, an annual, if this is at peak performance of the waterway, of course, an annual maintenance costs around $49 million a year. And you picked up 22 million this year, plus the disaster supplemental. So, you know, it, it, people can say you're falling behind again, but, but, but the fact of the matter is this kind of investment has uh, not really been present over the last 20 years. And part of the work of the association has been to uh, call attention to that need. And uh, so I guess I hope your board of... Oh, this is a step in the right direction. Step in I mean, the right direction. When AIW... Look, the reason why we attended this year's, uh, this past year's annual meeting was because it was the big 20-year meeting. That's right. And... Uh, why was the association formed? It was because due to kind of a, a di an uncoordinated effort to maintain the waterway, it wasn't quite viewed as a singular asset. It was right. kind of little stretches here and there. And uh, everyone was, as, as Brad has told us, kind of fighting each other over right. a limited pie. And Brad, I just would congratulate the organization on growing that number. No. We're not up to, we're not up to. That's a uh, round of applause. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a, this is a big, uh, I think, uh, I, I don't want to say you've, you've reached the end because we're, we're not all the way there yet, but we are moving in the right direction in the investment. And I, I would just also add that um, in addition to uh, just, you know, as you say, Brad, moving the dirt. Uh, there's some really innovative ways in which this dirt is being moved. And we had a, a really great conversation with the Philadelphia district. Yeah. On, Seven Mile Island. On Seven Mile Island. This innovative uses of dredge material off on the backside of New Jersey. That was a that was a highly listened to show, by the way. Brad. It was. Very popular podcast. Very popular because it's it's it makes sense. And. 
there, this notion of using thin layer placement. So yeah, we got to keep, we want to cut down our carbon footprint. So let's move stuff on this waterway. Oh, and we want to save our marshes so that we can continue to hold the carbon that's captured there on the side. So we're going to yeah. take that sediment and win, use win. thin layer placement. That is a win-win. If we don't do it, the marshes will die because sea level rise is outpacing the uh, yeah. growth rate of these marshes. So guess what? This is a this is an innovative program by the Army Corps of Engineers and uh, Catherine uh, Dr. Tedesco, I believe yeah. was her name. Um, so Brad, just overall, I've got to say that the the association and the investment, the, the increase in investment, I think is just extremely well deserved. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing to note is we were able to buy down that backlog uh, during and addressing all these hurricanes. You can, as I mentioned, that the backlog went from 126 down to the 75 uh, since 2016, and then we had the hurricane seasons of 17 and 18 that we were working within. So, yeah, that was really impressive. And then on top of that, in addition to the work going on in the Philly district, we just did our thin-layer pri- placement project in Jekyll Creek in Georgia. So we have the right. first one along the southeastern shoreline. Uh, and we're, we're going to be monitoring that to see how it works out. Uh, some initial results were uh, that there's a lot of good lessons to be learned there. There's a lot of excitement around this type of technology or similar ones. Uh, but we're, we're, we're spending some time. And as a matter of fact, our board is planning our next uh, board retreat. We're going to be in D.C. in March to do our lobbying. Let's talk about it. Let's talk so about gonna, it. Yeah, because we're uh, going to be our next board retreat down in Jekyll Creek. So uh, you go into D.C., the work is never done in organizations like yours because the needs of the waterway are never fully satisfied. Uh, Tell us about what your objectives are going into D.C. this year and what your uh, board retreat. What are you guys thinking about these days as an organization? Yeah, so just jumping in first on the the trip up next week, we'll be heading to to D.C. And our focus is increasing those mini pots. Um, The Corps of Engineers, through their budget, through the operations and maintenance piece, Congress has allocated funding in three mini pots where we are eligible to get projects. And that's the additional dredging needs for inland waterways, for navigation, and for small remote or subsistence navigation. So there's three different bites at the apple that we get for the work plan. And this year, last year, we asked Congress to put $60 million in each one of those pots. Well, they didn't quite do the full 60 in each one, but they did do 160 million over the three, which was really good. Very but this close. Year we're, yeah, this year we're going up asking for 75 million each. Uh, so we're asking for even more. Um, we've we've started laying the groundwork, and I can tell you that our the congressional offices are open to meeting with us. We've got over two days. We're going to be meeting with 16 different offices right now. Uh, and we'll see if there's going to be a couple more may get added in. But yeah. 16 offices is over two days, both House and Senate, both parties, uh, all five states in the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway. But also we're going to be meeting with uh, Congressman Jeff Van Drew in New Jersey. And the reason why we're going to that meeting is because of what you were discussing, the Philadelphia district and some work going on. Uh, in New Jersey is that we are partnering with our with with some groups in that area to try to keep treat this waterway not just as the 1100 mile long marine highway that we have in the southeast but really connect in to all the different waterways all the way up to the Boston Harbor way to go work together work together that's the key and uh, such an important thing right now Tyler I mean it's hard sometimes to think about what's going on in the government sector and you think good grief this is is there anybody 
working together. And you guys are such a great example of it. And uh, stretching your uh, advocacy all the way up to New Jersey and New York and up to the St. Lawrence. I mean, this these waterways matter in America. Uh, these are great investments for American taxpayers. Uh, this isn't boondoggle bureaucracy. This is real stuff for real people and real businesses and real parts of the economy. So it's damn good work. Um, and are you an are you uh, optimistic about this this ask you're going to make? You said there's a three part work. Uh, core budgeting uh, pots of money here, the inland waterway part, the general navigation, and the small and subsistence navigation. You guys want $75 million in each one of those pots to take care of the general needs of the waterway. What do you think, Brad? Are you going to have any luck this year? Well, I'll say this. Last year when we went in, uh, I'll just use the, the the best news story, the small remote subsistence navigations. You know, We went in asking for $60 million and it came out at 65. Uh, inland waterways, we went in asking for 60, and we got 55. And then general navigation, once again, 60, and we got just over 40 million. So um, chances of going from 160 to 225, it's not that high, but we've got to have we got to have big goals. And the way that I look at the waterway is this is a little engine that could, and so we're going to be audacious. We're going to ask for uh, what we need and what other waterways throughout the country could use and see how many partners we can get on board. We've got a lot of strong support in Congress that we'll continue to build on. Last year, uh, we were able to work with our partners in Florida, and they did a bipartisan multi-state delegation letter on the House side where we asked for these fundings, and we had representatives from 16 different congressional offices in six states signed on to that letter. So we want to continue to grow that support. And if we can get the entire delegation of the Eastern Seaboard asking for this kind of money for the nation, I think we got a chance. And so my goal is to have big goals, have big uh, opportunities that we can shoot for, and at least we'll be moving in the right direction. I'm not a with the with the work we do on our waterway, we know that if we think small, we'll end up small, and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna go down no that route. No sense in doing that. Um, so, Brad, I so just a couple a couple little remarks here. I mean, what's clear is that the reason why uh, you are so well received and the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway is so well received by uh, this delegation of uh, members that border it and are part of those coastal states that uh, that the waterway runs through is because for the past 20 years, you have been working on educating uh, staff and members, creating relationships. And I would just love for you to take us into the room uh, when when say maybe you're talking to a new member that is not yet familiar with the waterway, uh, to, are they shocked when you tell them just how important this feature is in their state? Uh, what is it like to uh, to educate a, a, a new member about this waterway that you're working to maintain and restore? You know, it's really a mixed bag. I'll give you the two extremes. Uh, one extreme is we've got new members sometimes that walk in that their district is completely the waterway. So they don't even have an inland connection, really. Uh, and they already know about it. They've already heard about it. Uh, and, and they're just wanting some facts and figures to put together with the knowledge they have. So for them, it's it's really just giving them the 
uh, information they need to make the case. And the coastal we do elite. that. <laughs> yeah, and we do that. And, and we get and, and and so when we go on these meetings, the people that usually attend with me, my board members, we have representatives from the recreational boating industry, for example, Boat US is is our chair this year david kennedy is our chair he'll be there and along with the national marine manufacturers association so the boat builders commercial dredging companies will be in the room with us uh, local governments so we have people that represent all the different sectors so depending on what the the members questions are we have experts in the room and i think that would be the biggest takeaway uh, that i would want the audience to hear is that if you're going to go make a case bring some experts in the room and oftentimes those experts just need to be good storytellers. And so my number one advice for anybody doing advocacy in Washington, D.C. is tell your story mm. in whatever way uh, resonates with you. Because if it resonates to, with you and you can explain why the waterway is important to you, then it's going to matter to that member. The other extreme would be the member that, that has both inland areas and the waterway. And those times we just start off very simply in explaining to them the – their constituents and how that waterway matters to their constituents, uh, whether it's a small fishing village or whether it's a shipyard and saying these are job producers. These are the small businesses that drive this country. Generally speaking, we hit on that. If they're interested in national defense, we can explain how national defense and homeland security is impacted. And finally, at the end of the day, it always helps to share with a member the different local governments that are involved and that are touched because them being an elected official, especially if they're a newly elected official, they know how hard it was to get that chair and to get that office in Washington, D.C., and they've often come up through the ranks of local governments. Uh, so when we have local governments that support us and that count on the waterway, they know what that means. Uh, so it's a, a multi-pronged discussion depending on where the member sits, their expertise, their desires, what what committees they sit on. So we do a lot of homework before we walk in the room to make sure that we give them the information they need because that's our responsibility. Right. If we can't give them a reason to say yes, then we're not doing our job. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how it is done. So if you're wondering, what does it take to be effective? Because there's so many needs in the country and so many different priorities all over the country. Uh, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle up in D.C. The budgets are big. The demands are high. The competition. And you guys go in and, as you say, it's take the responsibility to give the members of Congress the information they need to understand it and to vote yes. And I, I really think that's the right uh, way to look at it. And for advocates out there, that's how I've, I've always understood it. If, if you're not getting a yes, it's because you're not doing the job of explaining what it is well enough. And uh, so way to go, Brad. Well, and if I might just jump yeah. onto that, the other thing that stuck out in my mind was the coalition building process yeah. where, you know, not everyone is interested in defense. Not everyone is interested in the small business argument. Not everyone is interested in the local government argument. But you find the right story, the right hook for the member yeah. that you're lobbying to. And it's, you know, it sounds like it's an individual by individual affair, but once you have the base knowledge and the coalition built so that you can, as you said, Brad, go to that Atlantic coastal delegation and say, hey guys, we want to increase this specific pot, you know, from 60 to 75, it's, they're educated and they're ready to act and they understand what the impact of that will be. Is 
Brad, yeah, I think that's exactly right, Tyler. And Brad, is the case for the waterway getting stronger? What are you seeing in terms of the economics of the waterway and the use of the waterway? Uh, how is it? How is the the waterway playing into the deepening of ports along the Atlantic seaboard? I'm curious to know about energy. Are they? Yeah. If there's any uh, wind turbines yet? Yeah. Uh, being that might be transported on it. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. Two answers there. First off, on the uh, alternative energy sources, we're definitely watching that. Uh, what we believe, if it does come to fruition in any area. What we're noticing is likely going to happen is that those support industries, the maintenance industries, uh, different companies that are going to be supporting those are going to likely be not going to be able to pay the real estate costs to be inside of the port because that's going to be for shipping and containers and that side of the of the ledger. But where they will be able to go is buy a little bit of property just inside the intercoastal waterway that exits out onto a port. So we are definitely watching the offshore energy development and seeing how that comes to fruition and noticing some of those ports that uh, may be leading into the waterway and offer an exit route, because that's the way we think of our ports is that they're exit ramps to the world while we're the marine highway. That's really good. So that's how we look at that piece. the other question that you raised about what are we seeing? Well, there's two things that we're tracking closely. First off is the easy one. That's the port deepening projects. And uh, Charleston, Savannah, Jacksonville, Norfolk, which is Hampton Roads, you know, all the way up to New York, all of these areas, Baltimore, are getting funding to do deepening projects. And we're excited about that because we do know uh, that as those get deeper, more products are going to come in and they're going to need to be getting on uh, some form of transportation to get delivered into the country. Um, currently, you know, we're noticing the fact in, that the trucking industry continues to get older. The trucking shortage continues to grow. So that's going to be limited to those products that have to get there tomorrow. So we're waiting to see what can take a few extra days because that's where the waterway thrives. And on that note, the second thing that we're watching, in addition to the, the deepening projects and the knowing that we're going to get more products in, is that second handling. And what I mean by that is once those products get on a big barge or a big boat and make it all the way over here, what can then be put onto barges? And what we mean by that is oftentimes container on barge service is something that is just really taking off. And, and what that is, is exactly what it sounds like is, is those containers that are on the big ships that come in historically, they've been taken off the ships and put on a truck, taken off those ships and put on a rail cars uh, or put on a rail. What we're noticing now and where a lot of grant funding is going from the maritime administration of U S department of transportation, uh, which is one of the funders of some of the upland, Port development properties is an increase in container on barge services. That is going to be yep. a huge Man. opportunity for the Atlantic Intercoastal. Right now, we're not seeing a ton of it on the uh, Intercoastal. We're seeing there's a container on barge service that runs from Hampton Roads up into Richmond, Virginia. It's been going for a while, but we're starting to see it in California. We're starting to see it running on the Mother Mississippi. We're starting to see it in other areas. And once our ports on the eastern seaboard start looking to see how they can do container on barge service in between ports and up and down the waterway, it's going to open up a whole new opportunity. That's good. You know, you, I don't think a lot of people realize that uh, you could take a container that comes into Savannah and deliver it 
on a, a barge a, a container on barge to Duluth, Minnesota. I mean, you can go that you can the, the access these inland waterway system in America is a powerful transportation system that has been, you know, important in the country's development for centuries now. And well, I don't know, centuries, but you know, a long yes, time. Actually going back, centuries. Yeah, I think so. You know, but it's true. These inland waterways you can get from the Pacific Coast to uh, into Idaho on the Columbia River. You can get to Duluth, Minnesota through the St. Lawrence Seaway and the Great Lakes, get to Chicago and down the Mississippi. I, the reach of, of this distribution system, which, you know, I wouldn't mind if there were fewer trucks on the road. You know, put these, put these containers on a barge and move them down the waterway and move them in bulk. You know, not one at a time. Well, and one of the things I want to see if we can figure out is, okay, let's find some of these ports that are currently underutilized. So I talked about the big ports, but what about some of these that are on the eastern seaboard that are underutilized that maybe don't have the draft to get the larger vessels in or out? What about using those as a rehandling facility? A lot of them already have rail service because it was set up back when we didn't need the 50 feet, water, the, uh, 50 feet of water depth. They may have only needed 35 or 40. What about using those as a handling and redo the port infrastructure so that they can receive one of these container on barge ships that is coming from one of the larger ports and connecting into their already existing rail or already existing road infrastructure? So it's not just door-to-door delivery on barge, but maybe it's offshore to barge on container to a railhead at a different port. Right. And we are tracking quite a bit of this now with you know, just the impacts of, of advanced computing and machine learning on our transportation methodologies, you know, with with these, you know, this goes beyond my yeah, ab- ability to, to speak too much on Fast cheapest, it. though. Well, or, or maybe not. I mean, we're seeing uh, wind-powered shipping vessels now coming online that... I mean, yeah. wind assisted, fear, wind assisted, or especially if you don't have uh, uh, certain goods are not time necessarily sensitive, yeah. time sensitive. And if you could cut down on the fuel footprint by, you know, 50 percent, you'd significantly cut the cost of of shipping it, even if it takes a little yeah. longer. So, yeah. uh, you know, Brad, I, I just think that the uh, really the the sky's the limit as it were with the intercoastal waterway and i i do think that especially as we become more carbon conscious you know you that when you when we talk about these barges moving around how many it's way more efficient and peter you also mentioned the yeah. safety uh, element which is also i think yeah. important as well well you know brad what i like about this discussion is we start out talking about the intercoastal waterway and doing a little dredging and maybe beneficially using material uh, but when you open up the discussion the way you have in terms of the transportation infrastructure of the nation and how it can be better utilized, um, you, you, people get a feeling for what does it mean to be in the business of supporting a waterway and truly understanding it and why it's important to have people who get up every day and think about this, your board, uh, your team, uh, and the folks who operate this waterway. I, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important service um, and I hope you guys are able to to you know tackle some of these innovative ideas you're talking about, uh, container on barge shipping or the or to utilize these smaller ports that are probably going to lose some business because they don't have the channel depth to support these deeper draft container ships. But 
that underutilized infrastructure could play right into the hands of the waterway operators and the barge guys and maybe get products to railheads uh, that are less congested, maybe a little easier to work with, closer to markets. I mean, this is, right. starts, you really, you're right. I mean, this kind of gets into artificial, the, the complexity of the factors is is really kind of amazing. Well, I mean, we're, we're seeing uh, the Northrop Grumman uh, plan, which we ran on Coastal News Today, I want to say about six months ago. Uh, which involved, you know, the use of supermassive vessels and dirigibles that would go out to sea and collect. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, the uh, offloading. Yeah, autonomous uh, airships. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, shipping is cool. I, you know, I don't cool. know. I don't know enough about it. We need to go to a port. Brad, you we need do. to get us into a port so we can talk to somebody who runs one of these things. Because- you know, well, we, we do have ports that are members and port authorities that are members of the association, being in a membership organization. And uh, I'd be happy to, to get you into a port sometime. You just let me know when you're down this neck of the woods. Well, it would be a lot of fun. I, I mean, it's a, as Tyler and I talk about it from people who are not in the profession and don't work regularly with uh, this industry on the American shoreline one of the most important ones is you know these things are gated off they're they're very secure and you don't get to wander in and uh you know it's a little bit of a gaze in from afar uh we we definitely try to read the trade press and kind of get a feel for what's happening inside those gates but it would be great to talk to some people and and i think a lot of our audience has never been inside a port facility and really knows the ins and outs of how that operation works yeah, uh, our, one of our our previous chair, who you guys met, Paul Barger, at Colonial Terminals. He they're the second largest property owner inside the Georgia Port, inside the Savannah Harbor. So yeah, we could we could definitely get those guys on on some time to talk to you what those facilities are like. He's he's been my tour guide, and I've also had the chance to do a shipyard up in Hampton Roads. So it's a it's amazing when you see the size and the magnitude of the efforts that it takes to really run our country because at the end of the day we are still a maritime nation you know we we're not indeed. gonna there's there's a lot of things that we can't drive over here from other countries and we sure can't fly in because they're too big or it'd be too expensive so we're going to continue to uh to see this increase i mean they're they're expecting between 20 by 2040 uh, looking from 2015 to 2040 just over that 25 year window that DOT estimated that there's going to be an increase in 40, uh, increase of 45% in freight volume. Wow. That's in, a lot of US. stuff. That's a lot and of so stuff. How's that, how's that stuff going to get moved? You know, we are going to need our trucks. We're going to need our rail. We're going to need waterborne and air. It's going to take all four modes. And we're just hoping to be able, once again, to provide the data, the information, the stories that are needed for people to say yes. Great. You know, if we do get over to Savannah, and I think we really need to make the effort. I know we're going to want to stop in and talk to our friends at Biblia Inc., the folks who are at the AIWA meeting. This is a uh, mom and pop owned tug company, tug and barge company. We really enjoyed meeting them. I think it's a really interesting interview for folks to go back and listen to in, in November. Scroll back to the, the podcast uh, stack and, and find uh, the Biblia Inc. Uh, stories. We'd love to see those folks again. And, uh, well, Brad, the, the good work you're doing, obviously, congratulations on a successful appropriation uh, springtime effort and obvious, and more to do. Uh, closing thoughts from you about the association and what you want our listeners to understand about what you, you're up to. Well, I, I think the key takeaway for me is that 
the maritime industry is part of the overall transportation system of the U.S. And so we are the Maritime Transportation Network. We're a big part of it here at the AIWA and with our intercoastal waterway. And there are other ones that are just as important as ours. And my thoughts for anybody that's thinking about how they can support uh, our country, our economy, their own pocketbooks, is to look around and see all the things that are in our houses that we love and that we appreciate and that we want that come from somewhere else that aren't necessarily made here in the U.S. And I can almost guarantee you that it probably got here by water. And so the work that we do and the support that we get from everybody is going to continue to grow our economy and make sure that we get our Amazon Prime gifts here tomorrow, which makes my wife happy. And if she's happy, everybody's happy. It's a good saying. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Brad Pickle, the executive director of the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association coming to us from South Carolina. Thanks a lot, Brad, for taking the time and updating us. We are, you're always welcome back. Hope to see, talk to you again in the fall as uh, the word of bill is coming up soon. And, uh, Maybe there will be some additional news. Sounds great. I, I love being with you guys, and I really appreciate your all's ongoing support of, of not just the American Shoreline Podcast Network and the Coastal News today, but really everybody that plays a role in it. And you guys are champions for us all, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you, Brad. Sad to build their hotels. My father's 